This is a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas going anywhere by ferry beginning this Monday. New rules. You have to wear a mask at all times while on board and inside a ferry terminal. TripAdvisor is out with its top hotels as judged by people who stay at hotels. Number one on the Canadian list, the Magnolia Hotel in Victoria. Number two, the Loden in Vancouver. An iconic Vancouver restaurant with stunning views of downtown Vancouver is now facing closure. The Lockhart's Inn faces north uh, from the Lockhart's building. The government, which leases the space, has decided not to renew the lease, preferring to turn that space into offices. If you're a pasta lover, whip up your own sauce. Vancouver Consumer has learned... Ragu will no longer be available in Canada. Ragu is owned by an American company, and they want to focus entirely on the U.S. market. If you want to rag on Ragu for that decision, the company's Canadian website is ragu.ca. Canada's biggest movie theater operator, Cineplex, which shut down in March, will have reopened all 164 of its outlets by yesterday. And, as an incentive, new releases to include SpongeBob. If you soak up alcohol like a sponge but can't stand the hangover, breaking booze news out of Finland, in the Journal of Alcohol and Alcoholism, researchers at the University of Helsinki found amino acid L-cysteine relieved hangover ailments like stress, anxiety, headache, and the ever-popular nausea. If you watched any of the Democratic Convention, Joe Biden was crowned the nominee. Which president would be better for the Canadian economy, Trump or Biden? The scholars and economists at UBC are of the opinion Biden by a long shot. More stable and more important, Biden's promise to increase taxes on the U.S. wealthy that will make Canada a haven for wealthy investors, boating or Biting well for the Canadian economy. Brenda Baptiste, uh, she is the chairperson, board of directors, Indigenous Tourism, British Columbia. Brenda, welcome to the show. How are you? I'm great. Thank you for the opportunity. I'm I'm just so excited. I mean, this year's been such a weird year for tourism, but we continue to move forward with Indigenous tourism and invite people to have Indigenous experiences in this province. So thank you for the opportunity to talk about it. When I went on to the website, IndigenousBC.com, first of all, what an amazing uh, webmaster you must have, because it is just an awesome way to explore indigenous travel destinations uh, throughout British Columbia. But there are certain rules and restrictions uh, going into indigenous communities, uh, not unlike what we have in urban areas. We're going to get to that. But let's uh, talk about you for just a second, uh, Brenda. You've got quite a background. And when the pandemic struck, I would think that one of the first people they looked to would be a healthcare professional, and you are a registered nurse. I am. I am. Uh, it's it's odd. My my original career was in health. I'm a registered nurse, um, but I'm a great uh, advocate for First Nations and First Nations culture. And I moved into tourism, especially Indigenous tourism, because uh, just mirroring that sense of identity that we wanted our youth to be able to have really helps them move forward with a healthy lifestyle. So the, oddly enough, the two career paths merge very, very nicely. 
Well, you come from the Osoyoos Indian Band, and from what I know about that particular band, uh, of all the indigenous communities across the nation, uh, the Osoyoos Band, I think, is one of the more entrepreneurial. Did this play a factor in your choosing to go into tourism? It, it did. Um, I started with community health within the Osuyus Indian Band and uh, had the opportunity to actually develop the Incomplete Desert Cultural Centre, which combines uh, learning about culture and, and the Okanagan identity and sharing that with our visitors. And, and to me, it was uh, a seamless approach of looking at a healthier community. And it's been an amazing journey. And yes, the Osuyus Indian Band is very entrepreneurial and their, you know, Chief Clarence Louie, who is uh, our chief and has been for many years, his focus has always been about health starts with having a job and having a purpose in life, and that's the vision that he's put forward, and so that's where we continue to go. You chair the Board of Directors uh, for Indigenous Tourism British Columbia. There are, as I read, uh, more than 200 bands uh, does that mean there are more than 200 Indigenous territories available for us to visit? Absolutely. We're very fortunate. Out of the 600 nations within uh, within Canada, 200 of them are actually within British Columbia. And not all of the, the nations share the same culture. So there's such a richness and a diversity, not only in landscapes, but in cultural uh, experiences that our visitors can have. I mean, you look at South Okanagan, where I'm from. I'm from the Silks people in the Okanagan. Uh, We have desert landscapes and beautiful lakes and uh, incredible hiking and outdoor experiences. And then you go to the coastal islands, which are incredibly beautiful. And you've got the water, the ocean, you've got the incredible forest there, and then you go up north and you can experience a whole different world. So in BC, we're incredibly lucky that we have this diversity of culture, this diversity of landscapes that people can explore. And you can explore for yourself by going onto the website, indigenousbc.com, and all the links are there to learn how to travel responsibly into Indigenous communities. You can get a trip planner. Uh, It's just chock full of information if you want to uh, visit one of our Indigenous communities as a tourist. Let's talk about that for a moment, Brenda. I, You know, some tourists, uh, they just don't get it. Uh, A couple of weeks ago, I was reading about a tourist that ventured into Yellowstone Park and was attacked by a, I don't know, a bison she was trying to pet or something. And I thought, you know, just how stupid do you have to be? But let's let's just for the sake of our discussion today, uh, conclude that there are tourists who simply will not follow the rules. It is especially important when you're traveling into a remote community because, as we've learned with COVID, uh, that when you travel into a a remote community, uh, either Indigenous or not, uh, and someone gets sick because you're being stupid about not distancing, etc., your access to health care can be remote. Yeah, it's, it's, you know, COVID-19 has brought uh, many challenges, but certainly opportunities as well. And um, some of our remote communities within our, in, our Indigenous communities, especially in the northern areas, they don't have ready access to the healthcare system. And, um, and 
their responsibility from a cultural perspective as Indigenous people, our responsibility is to protect our people, protect our lands. And, and there was this recognition that COVID-19 was a period of healing for many of our communities and many of our lands. So we worked really hard to, I mean, if you go into uh, the indigenousbc.com, there's a, a segment there called How to Travel Responsib- Respons- Responsibly. Well, and, let, yeah, let, let's talk about that, because it, it shouldn't be a whole lot different than traveling responsibly to any place. No, it's not. I mean, essentially, within the COVID reality that we're living in, it really is about social distancing. It's about uh, wearing masks. It's about uh, respect. I mean, at the end of the day, it really is about respecting the community that you're going into and working. And and you can still have those cultural experiences that respecting the wishes of the Indigenous population there and um, asking questions and sort of and and really respecting the protocols that they've set up. Well, uh, on some of the information that I read about indigenousbc.com, Indigenous Tourism, British Columbia, seek and follow the wisdom of your Indigenous hosts. And like any person who goes to a dinner party or a house party, you know, you got to do what the hosts tell you to do. Absolutely. And really, it's about that communication and that mutual respect. Our Indigenous communities um, that are open and that are welcoming visitors, they, they truly do. Our, our whole culture is based around hosting. And our whole culture is, is uh, it really about welcoming visitors into our territory and um, having those protocols in place that not only protects the community, but also protects our visitors. And that mutual respect around protecting each other is really the essence of what we talk about in terms of this healing time. We recognize that um, people are going to want to travel and they're going to want to experience things. And so setting things up in a way that people are, are being safe, which is really a community responsibility, whether you're Indigenous or not. Brenda, there are Indigenous communities in heavily populated urban areas. Uh, does your tourism organization uh, handle some of those? Not everybody can get outside of an urban area to travel British Columbia, as we're urged to do, and stay home and travel B.C. Uh, Is there a difference between, uh, or is there an opportunity uh, to visit uh, an urban Indigenous community and be a tourist? Absolutely. We've got some incredible uh, opportunities. Um, We've got Takaya Tours within North Vancouver area. We've got... um, a number of indigenous products within and and restaurants, Salmon and Bannock. I mean, it's an incredible restaurant in downtown Vancouver. So you get to experience that indigenous hospitality with indigenous cuisine. Takaya Tours does these wonderful tours along um, the ocean in their canoes. You get to hear the stories. And, and that's the difference between an indigenous experience and a normal tourism experience is that you actually hear the stories about the land and the people and the history. And the whole idea around Indigenous tourism is to deepen the understanding of the people that live within that area, that there's this long-standing, beautiful history and identity uh, of the Indigenous people that were there for from 
the time time started, right? And that it still has an impact. I mean, the the city of Vancouver is incredible in terms of. Um, I lived downtown Vancouver for a number of years, and uh, one of the Squamish uh, chiefs actually walked me around the downtown core. I was feeling kind of homesick, and I wanted to go home. Uh-huh. And he walked me down the downtown core, and he showed me the different areas around the seawall. He's like, this is where we, this is where we uh, had our clam beds. This is where we harvested this food. This is where we gathered. Um, and we put the shared territory of the three nations there, and it immediately made me feel right at home. Living downtown Yale Town, it's like, no, this is there's an Indigenous history here that is so important to the identity of Vancouver. It literally changed my life. Well, uh, you know how heartwarming that is to, you know, feeling homesick and then uh, getting a tour of a big urban area. After all, we are all living on Aboriginal land, uh, what little we know about it. Uh, uh, as a non-Aboriginal person, we can certainly learn through IndigenousBC.com and traveling to some of our uh, either urban or rural Indigenous communities and allow the very gracious host to uh, fill you in on exactly uh, the history of our over 200 Indigenous communities. And did I read somewhere as well, Brenda, over 30 different languages spoken? Absolutely. And that's the wonderful diversity of this province is that um, as you travel throughout the province, you not only hear uh, about the different history and the different cultures, but the, you hear the language. And it's one of my favorite things. There's two things that I love when I travel throughout this province, and one is to hear the language of the people uh, within those communities and, and the drumming and the singing that's that's a part of that. And it, it truly does sort of speak to the heart of um, and that emotional connection that visitors have to those areas. And I, I would welcome anyone to experience that because it, it is something that you never forget. Well, tourists come from all over the world to experience it, and here we have it in our own backyard, available to us, uh, to, uh, you know, uh, but with a short drive or no drive at all. And so we should be taking advantage of it. Brenda Baptiste, Chairperson, Board of Directors, Indigenous Tourism, British Columbia. IndigenousBC.com, chock full of information, and some. It, it's an awesome website, and you can get a, a, a trip planner on there. You can look at some of the areas that are open, some of the businesses that are available in some of the Indigenous communities, more than 200 across British Columbia. Brenda, we have a long-standing history, unfortunately, uh, in this country of divisiveness with our Aboriginal community, and I can't think of a better way than to uh, unite a province and a country by inviting, quote-unquote, outsiders to come inside and understand exactly what we're all about. And I think when I look at the website, when I hear you speaking so passionately about Indigenous communities and the availability that these communities have made uh, to the average outsider to come in and and explore what Indigenous communities are all about, I think that goes a long way in breaking down uh, some of the myths and some of the divisiveness that we have experienced over the years. I think it just it's a win-win for everyone. 
I agree. Um, I said earlier that there were challenges and opportunities with COVID-19. And I think one of the greatest opportunities that we've had is the fact that our outside visitors uh, from outside of Canada have been limited. And so we've really challenged the people of B.C. to go and explore their territory of B.C. and explore the different areas, learn about the Indigenous cultures and the diversity within this province. We've always believed that the Indigenous uh, identity is so entwined with the British Columbia identity. They should be one and the same. And this has given us an opportunity to share that and prove that within this province. You can't have the province of BC without the Indigenous identity. And the, the beauty of this province and the resiliency of all of the people of this province uh, and, and, and that includes Indigenous and non-Indigenous, is really being shown at this time of difficulty that we're going through. And so we want to continue to celebrate that. Well, we have so much more to talk with you about. Brenda Baptiste, Chairperson, Board of Directors, Indigenous Tourism BC. IndigenousBC.com is the website. Joined by Brenda Baptiste, Chairperson, Board of Directors, Indigenous Tourism BC, IndigenousBC.com is the awfully fantastic website to really open your eyes to the more than 200 indigenous nations that we are graced with here in British Columbia. Many are open for tourism. Many have uh, that great entrepreneurial spirit. And uh, Brenda comes from one of the more entrepreneurial indigenous bands, the Asoyas Band. And that has helped you, I think, navigate, Brenda, when we talk about entrepreneurs. But like every entrepreneur, indigenous or otherwise, you are taking a risk when you go into business. And COVID uh, did not help the indigenous entrepreneurial bent, uh, just like everybody else. Tell us how you're responding to COVID and how you're reopening businesses on these indigenous communities with the help of tourists. Well, yeah, COVID-19 in the world that we're living in has really had an impact on uh, many of our Indigenous entrepreneurs and Indigenous businesses, like like throughout BC, right? Uh, one of the challenges that we face is that very often, especially in the northern remote areas, tourism is a major economic driver within their communities. That's where their youth get their jobs, that's where they get their training, um, and so if there's an impact, it's not just an economic impact, it's actually impacts all level of, of that community. So we've been working very hard advocating uh, with both federal and provincial government to look at how we can provide uh, funding and support and how we can provide stimulus to be able to move forward Indigenous tourism at this time. We made the commitment this year that um, even though it's a challenge this year, we're really focusing on opening the doors for Indigenous tourism 2021, but supporting those communities as best as we can uh, through this year. And whether that's through having weekly stakeholder calls or uh, providing and, and advocating for funding for the communities so that they can keep their businesses open. But more importantly, having a way of communicating to the general public and the tourists that there are Indigenous experiences that are open in 2020. And so, again, if you mentioned our IndigenousBC.com, there's uh, part of our website is Stay Local Support Indigenous BC, and it lists those experiences that are open. So 
use our website to do your planning. Find out if there's an Indigenous community in that area. It's an experience that you'll never regret. Well, the website also offers a trip planner. Uh, I mean, it's all laid out for a person who's interested in visiting an Indigenous community in British Columbia. That's why I think that whoever put that website together did an awesome job. I don't have to go anywhere else. I can have a look at some of the areas I might be interested in going to. I can have a list of the businesses that are open, uh, Indigenous-run businesses on these uh, communities, and I can get the whole trip planned. But one of the things I did notice, uh, Brenda, and you as a registered nurse uh, probably knows this as well as anyone, that you have to travel responsibly. I I don't want to go too hard on that because we should all be traveling responsibly wherever we go. But it is particularly important when we get into a more remote community where our remote Indigenous people don't have uh, the easy access to health care. We touched on that in our first segment with you. But uh, on that, um, is there something else we need to think about before we venture into an Indigenous community as a tourist? I think that the best thing is, is one, do your research. Find out where you're going. What are the Indigenous communities there? Do they have any restrictions in terms of traveling and respect those restrictions? Uh, we did an amazing video not very long ago, um, and it, it really did talk about Indigenous communities and their responsibility to the people and to the land and to uh, looking forward to welcoming visitors in the future. But... Um, them keeping their community and their their land and their people safe. Um, the other is just following the, the guidance of your Indigenous hosts once you're there, right? And looking and adhering to the advice of the locals, um, making sure that uh, you're staying safe uh, in terms of any of the wildlife and any of the trails. Uh, stay and spend locally. Um, travel less, stay longer, which allows you to actually really immerse yourself in that area and then just uh, being respectful of the community and their wishes. Indigenous communities, especially those that are involved with Indigenous tourism, we're, we are happy to welcome visitors in our area. I live in Osiris. It's amazing how many people are here. And we want them to experience not only the beautiful landscape that we have here in the lakes and the sun, and but we also want them to understand and experience our culture as well. So listen very closely to your Indigenous hosts. There are experiences that are life-changing, right? We talked about um, things like, I mean, you can go out and you can go on a whale, whale watchers tour, which is um, amazing. But when you combine that with the history and the story of those whales and their interaction and the spiritual significance of those those whales to the indigenous population as such an incredibly rich context that you won't get anywhere else and it, it truly does uh, change the way that you re- you view the world and that that's our intention well, I had the experience as a young broadcaster uh, to visit and work on uh, a fair number of indigenous uh, in uh, a fair number of indigenous uh, communities. Uh, they were not open to tourists, but I still uh, was immersed in the indigenous communities that I, I worked at and visited. And I can tell you to a person, uh, Brenda that every one of the chiefs, every one of the uh, band council members, 
and every resident of every indigenous community I visited, and some were very remote, others not so, warm, inviting, comforting, willing to share knowledge, willing to share their home, willing to share anything to allow you to really explore what our indigenous culture is all about. And when I look at your website, indigenousbc.com, it brought me back to those years ago when I visited these communities and worked on and in some of these uh, communities, that that's the same feeling I get now. And from talking with you, there is a passion, I know, from these indigenous communities to invite people in and really explore what these indigenous communities are all about. It's not just about a carving. It's not just about an artifact. It's about really understanding, I think, uh, what propels our indigenous communities uh, to move us towards being together. I, I, I just can't stress that enough. I get that feeling from our conversation today. I get that feeling when I uh, did my research through your website and others. And that personal experience also weighs in on that. And I think if you can accomplish that, then I think a lot of these entrepreneurs will bounce back from the COVID closures and uh, the slow reopenings. But I think if we can impress on people just how wonderful the people are, never mind the land, you throw that in, that's a bonus. You throw in the artifacts and the history, that's a bonus. It's about the people. I totally agree. And there's this, um, there's this, fundamental sharing of if you're if you're watching someone do a carving and they're talking about the importance of that carving in terms of their family emblems and the identity that they've got with their family and their history and they're sharing that with you um, the sharing is two ways Uh, and that's what makes indigenous tourism so profound. It's not just providing a service. It's not just about welcoming people and showing people this is what we're doing. It truly is a uh, transformative process where there's a sharing of our culture, our identity, these are our beliefs and our values, and we want to understand yours as well. And that's why you feel when you leave from many of these experiences, you truly feel that you become part of a larger family. And that's the power of uh, having those relationships. It's not just a service industry. We're creating relationships. Well, I've visited enough tourist areas uh, in British Columbia and around the world to know that in a lot of tourist destinations, you are getting faux tourism. Uh, You are visiting shops where they uh, purport to have original carvings and original well they're in fact not original they are not done by indigenous people they are done by people who have uh, taken uh, uh, indigenous artwork for example and copied it Uh, they are as caucasian as i am and this is not indigenous art so what i'm suggesting is when you visit one of our indigenous communities uh, and find out what it's all about you're getting the the real deal You are. And there is, in terms of Indigenous art and in terms of um, the knowledge that we pass on, um, it's it's authentic. And that's the important piece, is that there's a story behind everything. We're storytellers. Our history, uh, everything that we do, there's stories behind that. And so you get this authentic experience that you don't just get from going and picking up a, a... standard carving. 
The difference between authentic products are and, and non-authentic is that if you're picking up uh, a carving that has been created by an Indigenous artist, they will always have, and they'll have the permission and uh, within their protocols, within their communities to share the story, but they'll always have the story about that image. What does that mean? And those, those images uh, are meaningful to um, Indigenous people. Yeah, I think when you take a look at some of the images that uh, uh, fall in line with our Indigenous communities, you say, well, okay, what does exactly does that mean? And this is an opportunity to go into these Indigenous communities, if art is your thing, uh, and to talk to the artists or at least an elder or someone who is hosting uh, in these Indigenous communities to find out exactly what that means. I watched a documentary recently about an Aboriginal artist in Ontario. He is one of the most forged artists in the world. In other words, more forgeries are made of his artwork than of almost any other artwork in the world. So that tells you there's an interest in uh, Aboriginal art, and let's make sure that it is authentic. Uh, let's talk a little bit about the population of uh, these Indigenous communities, uh, Brenda, because you had mentioned that a good portion of the population is under the age of 25. So you've got you've got some folks, some young folks to work with when it comes to uh, being entrepreneurs and teaching them about running an Indigenous uh, business and inviting tourists in to help out with that business in terms of spending money. Uh, are you finding that um, young Aboriginal men and women, uh, 25 and under, or around the age of 25, are interested in promoting a, a business uh, and uh, tourism in particular? Absolutely. Uh, we've got one of the youngest populations in all of the populations in Canada, and we have for a number of years. And so uh, the opportunity that we've had with Indigenous tourism is that it becomes a training ground for them, even if they chose to go into another field. It's, tourism is a way that you learn solid business skills, you learn planning skills, it allows you to engage and interact with um, other people and, and be a host. These are things and skills that go across the board in any kind of job they want. But what we're finding is that the most important thing about Indigenous tourism is that you, as young people, you have to know who you are as an Indigenous pe- person. You have to know your culture, your history, your uh, your songs, your identity, and celebrate that before you can share it. And to us, when we started Indigenous Tourism BC, that was actually the premise, is that we wanted to create economies within First Nations communities within this province, but we also wanted to build a social fabric within our communities that allows our youth truly understand their own identity and celebrate their identity as Indigenous people, whether they're Chilcotin, whether they're Silks within the Okanagan or Haida. We wanted them to explore their identity and their culture and then take that wherever they want to take it. Well, Brenda, we, unfortunately, we've, we've run out of time. One of the great pleasures of doing Vancouver Consumer on CKNW is 
talking with folks like you and learning about things that I wasn't aware of. It's a great learning experience for me, and I, I thank you for that. And I, I hope folks who have listened to this segment with Brenda Baptiste, Chairperson, Board of Directors, Indigenous Tourism BC, will go to your website, indigenousbc.com, and explore how you can stay local throughout BC and really learn about our wonderful Indigenous communities uh, through that website. It's got everything. You are listening to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Back in a moment. Welcome back to Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. Time now for another Ask Andrew. Andrew Ferreira, executive producer, Vancouver Consumer. I am probably the person in the lower mainland most anxious to get back to an indoor swimming pool. Why? Because it's good for you. Andrew, you've got some uh, breaking news on swimming pools in Vancouver. Yeah, so yesterday the Park Board uh, announced, the Vancouver Park Board announced the reopening uh, procedure for some of their indoor pools. Uh, As you know, they've been closed down with the pandemic as of a lot of public spaces. Uh, But they're finally ready to begin the slow and gradual process of reopening. Uh, This will be happening throughout September and October. Uh, Eight of the Vancouver Park Board's nine indoor pools will be open for community and swim club use. Uh, so starting, uh, with a target date of September the 14th, uh, Hillcrest, Carisdale, Britannia, and the Vancouver Aquatic Center are slated to reopen. Uh, a month later, October the 13th, they're looking at Killarney, Templeton, Lord Bing, and Renfrew. Kensington Pool will not reopen this fall due to its size as it's a bit too small to safely accommodate, you know, all the physical distancing, uh, rules required for this. Well, the question I have as an avid pool goer, I've uh, caught wind of uh, some of the rules and regulations that are going to be in effect with the reopening. And I don't know if it applies to these particular pools, but uh, it will certainly apply to the pool that I go to in West Vancouver at the rec center. Uh, what I'm hearing is that uh, shower rooms and change rooms uh, will not be available as we knew them. And I'm thinking, okay, so I get out of the pool, I got a soaking wet bathing suit. Now what? So uh, for the Vancouver Park Board, showers and change rooms and lockers will be available. Uh, However, they're going to be placing limits on the number of people uh, who can be in them and visit the change rooms at any given time. Uh, On top of that, they're going to be providing wider wider lanes for uh, length swimming. Uh, Snorkels won't be permitted. There won't be rentals of goggles or towels or kickboards. Uh, During uh, a buffer period kind of between swim periods, Uh, The facilities will be sanitized and prepared for the next kind of batch of people to come in. Uh, They'll be open with reduced maximum capacities. Lifeguards will wear PPE. So a whole suite of uh, brand new safety features are coming in. But uh, perhaps there is a, uh, I don't know, a semblance of normalcy Mm -hmm. coming back. Yeah, you got to start somewhere. Exactly. Yeah. Can I give you a little consumer tip on Vancouver Consumer if you are a pool goer? And that tip is... If the pool opens at 7 in the morning, if that's the first time you can book in, uh, book that first hour because the pool has been cleaning itself or oscillating all night. So you will be the first person in a clean pool. 
That's always very good, especially now more than <laughs> yeah, ever. Especially now. Uh, thank you for that, Andrew. Indoor pools opening uh, in Vancouver and Greater Vancouver over the course of the next uh, couple of months. I know a lot of people looking forward to that with, of course, new rules and restrictions. Andrew Ferreira, executive producer, Vancouver Consumer on CKNW. And you have been listening to Vancouver Consumer on this radio station, 980 CKNW. I'm Manny Bazunas. We'll see you next time. The proceeding was a paid commercial program. Unless otherwise identified, the guests on the program are employees of or otherwise represent the advertiser. The opinions expressed therein are those of the advertiser and do not necessarily reflect the views and policies of CKNW.